Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, as a kid growing up, I, I loved superheroes. You know, Batman, Superman, all of the deals. Um, just because they were so cool. And I, and I, and I just I collected comic books. Um, in fact, if my mom had not thrown them out, I probably would have been a rich man today. But, of course, I'm not sure what they get on the market these days. But uh, I, probably my all-time favorite has to be Superman because he was just like the superhero of all superheroes. I mean, you, you, you remember the sayings, right? You remember how it used to go? See if you can finish this up. Faster than? More powerful than? Able to leap? See, you all know it. Yeah, it's... He was like the coolest superhero because nothing stopped him, you know, except kryptonite. And I don't know where that came from, but every once in a while it seemed like the bad guys always had that stuff. But, but he was big. He was powerful. Nothing shook him. Bound, you know, bullets bouncing off his chest, all of that kind of stuff. He was the epitome of superheroes, superhero to a T, you know. Um, and, and, and because of that, I think we've got this idea that a hero is somebody extra powerful, somebody much bigger than any of us could possibly be. But as we've been looking at in this series, Unsung Heroes, it's really ordinary people who just simply are the right people at the right place, at the right time, doing the right thing. And, and you can be that person because true heroes are just ordinary people that just happen to be able to do extraordinary things at just the right time. And so we're finishing up this series on Unsung Heroes. We're looking at uh, one this morning. His name is Caleb, okay? Now, if you don't know Caleb, let me give you a little brief history um, who Caleb is and how he got there, okay? You, know, you all remember Moses and the burning bush and that whole deal, okay? God calls him to go back to Egypt, to go before Pharaoh, to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And, Pharaoh, and uh, Moses does that. And Pharaoh finally gives in after a long bunch of stuff that happens. And so they get out to the Red Sea. Moses leads them across the Red Sea, out into the wilderness. They're on their way into the land of promise, the land that God had promised his people, land flowing with milk and honey. And so they make their journey from Egypt up to this new land. And uh, through the, they have a few stops along the way. One is at Sinai where uh, Moses goes up to the mountain. He gets the law, brings it back down to the people. And God leads them all the way through. He brings them right up to this land, okay, right on the borders. They're right about to go into this land that God had promised them. And that's where the story gets picked up in Numbers 13. Um, Because what Moses does is he sends some spies into the land to check it out ahead of time. Twelve spies, one from each tribe of the nation of Israel. And so Numbers 13, verse 17, we pick up the story. Moses sent them to explore Canaan. He said, go to the land of Negev and into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they walled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. And he sends them out. And they go and they explore the land and they come back. And you pick up in verse 26. They come back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And they reported to them then the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. And they gave Moses this account. We went into the land which the people... We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, the Canaanites live in the Jordan, all of the ites live everywhere. Um, And then Caleb silenced the people 
before Moses and said, we should go up and take the land. Take possession of land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with them said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak came from Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in their own eyes. And we looked the same to them. Skip on down to number 14. That night, the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken on this plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Skip on down, verse 6. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us into that land flowing with milk and honey and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And if you know the rest of the story, they chose to believe the ten instead of the two. Twelve spies go in to check out the land. Twelve come back. Ten say, it's good, but we can't take it. And only two speak up, Joshua and Caleb, two guys out of the ten, speak up and say, no, we can, we should. And Joshua is the guy that gets all the credit. Okay, you know, Joshua becomes the successor of Moses. It's actually Joshua who leads them into the land 40 years later. It's, it's Joshua that we sing the song about. You know, nobody sings, Caleb fit the battle of Jericho. You know, <laughs> Caleb gets no credit whatsoever. But Caleb was the first guy to speak up. Caleb's the unsung hero in the story. And I wonder how much Joshua would have been able to step up too had not Caleb said it first. He's the unsung hero. He doesn't get all the credit. But without him, I think it would have been a very, very different story. His story is one of courage. And it's courage because of his convictions. He was convinced about God. He was convinced about God's leading and God's power. And because of his convictions, he had the courage to say, let's do it. Well, all the others said, no, let's not. And so I want to look this morning with you a little bit at Caleb and take a little bit at this whole idea of courage. Where does it come from? What does it mean to have the courage of our convictions? And how does that happen? How do you develop that kind of courage? That's what we're going to look at together. And the first thing you find out is, as you read through the story, and this whole story is that courage comes and courage builds on lessons of faith. Courage doesn't just automatically appear. Courage is something that builds and grows over time through learning the lessons of faith. See, because these faith-challenging experiences that all of us go through, every one of those experiences hold within them the potential for growth and courage and faith. Every experience you go through, everything that stretches your faith has the potential to grow your faith and to increase your courage. It's why I believe God brings us through those experiences in our life. And sometimes they are experiences that that just come upon us. They're difficult circumstances that we come up against. We didn't anticipate them. We didn't expect them. They just happen. And sometimes 
They are the result of deliberate choices of obedience that we make, even hard choices sometimes. But they are steps of faith when we say, I will obey what God says. And you might be facing some of those this morning. Sometimes it's difficult circumstances like, like struggling with overcoming an addiction. And that is a hard thing in your life. And it's a huge giant in front of you. Or maybe it's a health issue that you're facing this morning. Maybe it's a job loss. Or your finances are just really, really scary right now. And it's a circumstance that's just kind of beyond your control. And you're wondering, how in the world am I going to get through this? It might be the result of a hard choice of discipleship. You made a decision to remain sexually pure until marriage. And that is a hard thing to do in this day and age. And everybody else says, well, it's not that big a deal. And it's a hard thing to stick with that conviction. And it stretches your faith. Honoring God with my finances. You go through a difficult financial time and the first thing you want to cut back and say, well, maybe I should stop tithing. Maybe I should stop. Maybe I shouldn't be quite so generous. And you want to scale back on it. See, when it's a difficulty, that's when it stretches your faith. When it's easy, when everything's going smooth, it's easy to have faith. It's when you're faced with the giants, when it's faced with the challenges, that's when it's difficult. Maybe it's taking on a new ministry commitment. You decided through this new series when we did in January about no more excuses and then really taking on and making a contribution and making a difference. You decide, I'm going to do that. But it scares you to death. Or, or making the decision maybe to share your faith with a friend or family member. And the minute you think about it, your palms get all sweaty and your tongue gets all swollen and you just say, I can't do that. See, anytime we are faced with an experience that is beyond our abilities, it's going to stretch our faith. And when we step forward in that, it grows and deepens and builds our courage. It strengthens our faith. And when we shrink back and we retreat from those things, we just keep getting weaker and weaker. Moses sends these spies into the land, and they go and they check it out. And, and, and they come back, and, and this is the report. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. It's exactly as God promised. It is bountiful. It is fruitful. It is a great place. It's a beautiful place. But, but the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. They are faced right then and there with the decision. And whatever decision they make is going to determine whether they're going to move forward into what God has designed for them to experience or they're going to retreat back from it and not experience God's design in their life. And that's really the truth of it. That's the truth of it. Every time you are faced with a challenging experience, every time you are faced with challenging circumstances, whether it's by decision or whether it's by default, every time you're faced with that, whatever you choose at that moment will determine whether you step forward into what God has for your life or you retreat from it. Every one of those things have that potential. And it's not the experience itself. It's what you do in the experience. Because just going through the experience doesn't do it. Growing through the experience is something very, very different. For two years, the nation of Israel had traveled from Egypt to this place where they are right now. It's been kind of a long journey. They camped out a few places a while along the way. And it's been over two years. And, and the thing is that all through these two years, they had multiple examples and opportunities to grow their faith. Tons of experiences. And every time they come up against it, the response was the same. It's the response that they have here. They hear the report of the ten spies, and this is what they say. If only we had died in Egypt. 
If only we had died in Egypt or, or even in the desert. Why did the Lord bring us here into this land only to have us fall by the sword? Now, that is not why God brought them. But that's what they're thinking. God's design and destiny for them was to go in and possess the land, to live in that land of bounty and plentiful. That was God's design. They came up against it and said, why did he bring us out here? It would have been better if we just died back in Egypt. And that was not the first time they said, in fact, you follow that sentence all the way through their travels. They said that a lot of times. God delivers them from Egypt, from the bondage and slavery. Pharaoh lets them go. They get up against the Red Sea, and, and they're at the, it's a roadblock. The Dead Sea's right in front of them, and here comes Pharaoh's army. And what do they say? If only you would let us die in Egypt. Why did you bring us out into the desert to die? So God parts the Red Sea. They walk through. Sea caves back in on all the Pharaoh's army. They're all killed. They're all safe. Yay, God. Yay, God. Yay, God. But now we're hungry. Ah, if you only you'd let us die in Egypt. Why'd you bring us out here to starve to death? So God provides manna supernaturally every day. Food right there. Just pick it up and eat it. Oh, yay, God. God is good. God is good. But now I'm thirsty. Why did you bring us out into the... Why didn't we just die in Egypt? Why did you bring us out into the desert to die of thirst? So God provides water. And they drink. And it's yay, God, yay, God. Until the enemy start attacking. Why did you bring us out here? Why, we could have just died in Egypt. Why did you bring us out here to die by the sword? So God provides and cares for them. And they overcome the enemy. Yay, God. But now we're tired of manna. We're so, we're so hungry, but we don't like manna anymore. If only we had something else to eat. You know, back in Egypt, we had melons and fruit and all this other good stuff. Why did you bring us out here? Why don't you just leave us back in Egypt? So God provides quail. Over and over and over and over and over and over again. For two years, they complain and God provides. And you would think after two years, they would learn the lesson of faith. But no. And now they're brought right up to the land that God had promised to them. And it's, why didn't you just let us die in Egypt? They went through all of those experiences and never learned the lesson except for Caleb and Joshua. Because here's what happens. When you keep stepping back and shrinking back, you develop a pattern of defeat. You develop a pattern of defeat. You develop this pattern that anything that bad comes up, it's, why didn't you let me die in Egypt? We, we, because that's the way our brain works, okay? We develop patterns. Let me give you an example of this, okay? Real quick, audience participation here. Okay, the tree that grows from an acorn is called? Some of you aren't too sure, okay? <laughs> it's an oak. That's the, that's the right answer is oak, okay? Let's try it again. The tree, a tree that grows from an acorn is called? The vapor that rises from a fire is called? The sound that a frog makes is called? The white of an egg is called? No, it's not. It's the white of the egg. Gotcha. Patterns. That's how patterns develop. You get into a rhythm, you know the response, and that's your automatic response. Let me ask you this morning, what is your pattern? When you come up against a challenge in your life, what is your initial reaction to it? Yoke? Egypt? See, every time you shrink back, you develop a pattern of defeat, of complaint. And God never does enough. 
But if you learn the lessons of faith, when, you're, when your faith is challenged and it is stretched and you get out of your comfort zone and you take that risk, what you discover is you start developing a pattern of faith. And that is what grows your trust. That is what grows courage. You stretch out of your comfort zone. You get out of the pattern. It is really, really interesting. Caleb had all of the same experiences. He had all of the same information as everybody else. But his response is, we should go up and take possession of the land. For we can certainly do it. Same experiences, same information, same knowledge, different response. And to be people of faith, particularly in times of challenge or uncertainty. And we live in uncertain times right now. There's a lot of things that are uncertain. The economy, the jobs, everything around us. And this is not the time to step back. This is not the time to shrink back. This is the time to step forward. Whatever your challenge is, whatever it is that's in front of you that you say, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, take the step forward because the natural reaction is to step back and consolidate and say, oh, we, we can't do ministry anymore. We shouldn't spend money on that. We shouldn't. Step forward. As a church, this is not the time to shrink back. This is the time to step forward. In your own life, this is not the time to shrink back. It is the time to step forward. It's really easy to step forward when everything's going smooth. It's when you're faced with the obstacle that you've got to step forward in faith. That's why God puts these things in our lives. And God is bigger. He is far bigger than the economy. He is far bigger than your job situation. He is far bigger than anything you might be facing right now. Your family, your health, whatever it might be. God is bigger. This is not the time to step backward. It is the time to step forward. He has been faithful in the past. He will be faithful in the future. That is the lesson. Through this series, I've told stories about some of the early days of this church. When we had no money and God just provided out of the blue a check for $1,000. It was just what we needed. And just story after story after story, things that we have, many of us have experienced together. Others have come along later, and you've seen some of the, This property that we are on was a gift from God. We did not pay a single... Well, we did. We paid one dollar. That's a miracle. Learn the lessons of faith. God has been faithful in the past. He'll be faithful in the future. And whatever you are facing right now, the choice that you make at this juncture in your life will determine your future. It has future implications. And if you keep stepping backward, you establish that pattern. If you keep stepping forward, as tiny a step of faith as it might be, you take the step forward. Because it's the step to fulfilling the destiny that God has for you. God had a destiny and a purpose and a plan for this nation. It was to move in and take possession of that land. To live there and to be a light to all nations of what God can do when people will be obedient to Him. That was their calling as a people. And they got right up to the opportunity and it got hard and they stepped back. It is not the time to step back. Learn the lessons of faith. Because that's where courage comes from. And then courage focuses on God's ability, not my own. The ten spies went out with the wrong focus. Listen to their report. The land that we explored devours those living in it. 
All the people we saw there are of great size. They're the descendants of Anak. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Now, look at that word order. That is a very, very telling thing about what they were coming through. We look, they didn't say, we looked like grasshoppers in their eyes and felt the same to ourselves. It says, we looked like grasshoppers in our own eyes and looked the same to them. If you face a challenge looking at it only through your own ability, you will live in fear. If you face up to an obstacle and you think you're going to have to get through this all by yourself, you will live in constant anxiety and fear and worry. That's the problem. Their focus was on what we can't do. We are grasshoppers. We're just little grasshoppers. We can't do anything. They were looking in the wrong place. And if you look at challenges only through your own ability, you will live in fear. And fear is the greatest threat to your trust in God. Fear is the thing that makes you step back. And fear always magnifies the problem. It always magnifies the threat. Always. How many here, when you were little, had a fear of the dark? How many have kids, okay, who have the fear of the dark? There is nothing there. It is your imagination about what might be in the dark. That's what you tell your kids. It's okay. It's safe. There's nothing there. But it's your imagination. It's what you perceive. It's what you imagine. It's what you think through. And that's the deal. It always magnifies the problem. There is nothing there. There is no, nothing in the dark. There's nothing to be afraid of. But because you can't see it, your brain makes up what might be there, and that's where the fear comes from. Fear always magnifies the threat. And that's why they say, we look like grasshoppers in our own eyes. In fact, they go on. Why did the Lord bring us into the land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? They've got a whole scenario playing out in their minds. We go in and try to take this land. Not only are we going to get defeated, but they're going to take our wives and our children as plunder. And you know, it's, it's going to be a big mess. They had all the scenario worked out already in their brain. It was all because they were looking at their own abilities. We talked about this a couple months ago in our whole series on fears. Bible says there are 166 recorded instances of God saying, Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Fear not. 166. There is one for every day of your life, every day of the year, including leap year. Because every day we need to be reminded, do not be afraid. And the number one reason that is always given, do not be afraid, for I am with you. He is the God who is with us. You were not meant to face life challenges alone. This is a thing between you and God. See, Caleb's confidence was not in his own ability. He spoke with such confidence because of his confidence in God. He said, do not be afraid of the land because we will devour them. Don't be afraid of the people of the land. We will devour them. Now, notice that. In fact, on your outlines, the, the ten spy said, the land devours the people who live in it. Caleb comes back and says, no, we're going to eat them up. We're going to have them for breakfast. We will devour them. Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. It is the be with God. He is the be with God. God is with us. God is with us. Now, I will admit, there are mornings that I wake up and I lay in bed 
And some of the first thoughts I have are all the things that are facing me and some of the challenges we're facing as a church and some of the big obstacles that I'm not sure how we're going to do. And I can lay in bed and think about all those things and I will just spiral down. <laughs> or I can wake up in the morning and before I do anything else, just say, God, you're with me today. You're with me today. And whatever I face, I don't face alone. I believe you are with me. Show me your presence. Make me aware that you are with me. And whatever obstacle or whatever challenge or whatever hard choice I have to make, remind me, you are with me. So you have a choice each and every day how you're going to approach that day. And I would suggest maybe, especially if your default position is to shrink back and step back, would you just this week, every day, when you wake up, before you do anything else, just start your day before you even get out of bed, just say, Lord, thank you you're with me today. Thank you that you are with me today. And whatever I face, I don't face alone. Just remind me of your presence. Just remind me of your presence. He is a God who is with us. Fear says God is not big enough. Fear says God is not with you. Fear says it is not safe to be in, hand, in the hands of God. That's what fear keeps telling us. What Caleb saw was God is with us and God is big enough. Henri Nouwen, well-known theologian, um, died in the late 90s, I believe it was. Um, in the last day of his life, the last year of his life, he took a sabbatical and wrote a book. It's actually his, his journal, his diary, a sabbatical journey. It's, it's a record of the last year of his life and all the places he went and friends that he visited because he was dealing with health issues. And one of his favorite things was to go to the circus. He loved watching the trapeze artists. And it was a particular group. They were called the Flying Rodleys. And he, and he got to be friends with these people and, and got to chance actually after, after the circus to, to meet with them and talk with them backstage and actually developed a friendship with the whole family. And, and one day he was talking with them and, and the father was telling him how this whole trapeze things works. And he says, there are flyers and there are catchers. And the flyer swings back and forth till he gets to the height and then he lets go. And then the catcher catches. The flyer, this is what he said, the flyer must never, never try to catch. The flyer must never try to catch because if he does, it is very dangerous and it is likely that they will miss each other and fall. The flyer simply needs to hang with his hands out and let the catcher do the catching. That is a picture of faith. That is a picture of faith. We are the flyers. God meant for you to fly. And he does the catching. And the flyer must never try to catch. The flyer cannot catch the catcher. The catcher does the catching. And there is a moment in that where you let go of the bar and you hang in space. And you wait for the catcher. See, a lot of times people say, I wish I had more faith. And they think that faith is something that you muster up, that you conjure up, that you somehow convince yourself and do mind games with yourself. That is not how you grow your faith. You don't muster up faith. You get to know God better. <laughs> because when you know your God, the believing and trusting part is much easier. Our problem is not that we need more faith. Our problem is we need to know our God. 
And it's sometimes when we're in that hanging spot, that's what we wrestle with, God's goodness and God's strength. Is he a good God? Is he a strong God? Because sometimes I think we believe God really is loving. He's a good God. He's a loving God. But he's not very strong. He can't rescue me from this. Or sometimes we think he's a great and powerful, strong God. I know he can do it, but I'm not sure if he loves me enough to do it. And both of those issues were settled by Jesus Christ on the cross. You need never doubt the goodness of God because it is a self-sacrificing, merciful, gracious, unconditional love that he has for you. He proved that on the cross. That's what that was about. It was the ultimate example of a loving God. And then, and then on Easter Sunday, he rose back up, demonstrated he's got all the power that he needs. The power for death and sin and guilt and hell. He is a powerful God and he is a loving God. And you need never doubt that ever again because in Jesus Christ, he showed us. And all you need to do is get to know that God better. That's why Paul wrote, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. He wrote that in extreme poverty from a jail cell. And he wrote the words, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That doesn't mean you get out of jail free. That doesn't mean you get dumped on with all kinds of money out of your poverty. It just means that in faith you can go through anything, even enduring the difficulty through Christ who gives you strength. And it is a matter of getting to know the goodness and the strength and power of of God because courage comes not in focusing on my own ability but on God's and then courage is the thing that can stand the test of time as you learn the lessons as you learn and grow in your relationship with God it is something that stands the test of time the result the result of Israel's disobedience the result of their choice was this. God said to them, Not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to. God says, Okay, you don't want to step forward? You don't want to take that land? Fine. Until you all die, we're not going to try this ever again. We're going to, the next 40 years, you're going to wander in the wilderness until all of you die because maybe your kids have enough faith to do this. You don't want to take possession of land. You don't want to take that risk. You don't want to step forward. Fine, that's your choice. But here's the result of it. And for 40 years, they wandered in that desert. For 40 years, they wandered in that wilderness. See, courage ultimately is a choice. That's what it is. It comes down to a choice. It's a determination of the heart. He said... My servant Caleb had a different spirit. He follows me wholeheartedly. It is the choice that says, no matter what, as hard as it might be, I keep trusting, I keep risking. And so because of that, he entered the land of promise. Of course, he had to spend 40 years with everybody else. You ever wonder what he did and thought during those 40 years? Because he's now wandering and suffering through no fault of his own. He had the faith to go ahead and do it. But he ends up with 40 years with these people. You wonder what he thought? These stupid people. I'm stuck with these people for another 40 years. Dang. 
It's not even my fault. How come I got it? Why couldn't I just you know, take a little corner and camp out for 40 years till they come back, you know? I mean, what, think about that. What he must have thought day in and day out. I'm wandering in the wilderness again, and it's not even my fault. And sometimes that's the truth. Sometimes the difficulties that you go through have nothing to do with you. It's not your fault. But your life is put on hold. You are stuck waiting. You are the one that has to hang in there. And sometimes you do it with confidence and expectation, and sometimes it's painful, but you are that person who is hanging in the air. You have let go of the bar, and you've turned, and it seems like you're hanging there forever. Am I going to get caught? Will somebody catch me? I don't like this hanging in the midair. And that might be you this morning. You might be that hanging in the air person. Your life is like it's on hold. There's so much indecision. There's so many threats in front of you, but nothing's really happened. You're just hanging there waiting, wondering. I want to tell you, faith and courage can grow in the waiting times too. We don't really have to wonder what Caleb was thinking for those 40 years. Because you fast forward 40 years and you get to the book of Joshua. And now Joshua has become the leader. Moses has died. Joshua is now the leader. And they're about to go into the land of promise. And they actually do. And he leads them in. And they come through and they take over all of the land. And they settle in. And it takes them about five years to do all of this. And they get to the point where pretty much everything's been settled in. And Caleb comes to Joshua. Okay? You don't hear about him again until this moment. He comes back to Joshua. And this is what he says. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out into battle as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. 85 years old. And he says, okay, I want my share. And he says, this is the share. Give me the hill country. So Hebron belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, whole heartedly for 40 years he never gave up for 40 years he kept moving through kept stepping forward for 40 years he kept anticipating and looking forward to and now another five years of conquest and it's 85 year old man and he comes says okay now give me my portion okay i spied it out i god promised it to me give me my portion and listen what it says from hebron caleb drove out three anakites shashai ahaman and Talmai, you know who those guys were? They were descendants of Anak. Those were the giants. Those were the giants. Those were the ones that the spies came back earlier, you know, 40 years ago, 45 years ago, and said, these are the giants. We can't overcome these people. And Caleb said, bring them on. I'm 85 years old. Bring them on. 85 years old. And he wants the toughest assignment. He wants the hill country where the giants live. I want to be that 85-year-old. I want to be that 85-year-old. I want to come to that point in my life, 85 years, and say, bring it on. I don't want to waste away in retirement trying to improve my golf game, which will never get any better anyway. (laughs) Bring it on. 85 years. You know how you get to be that 85-year-old? It's the decisions you make in your 20s. It's the choices you make in your 30s, in your 40s, in your 50s, in your 60s. 
You don't become that 85-year-old on your 85th birthday. You get there by starting here. Each step that you take in faith, each challenge that you face with risk and trust in God, each time you choose as small of a step forward as it might be, each time you choose to step forward instead of shrinking back, you work towards being that kind of 85-year-old. And I know some 85-year-olds, they have, I just can't stand to be around them. They're just negative and complaining. But I know some 85-year-olds who are so full of life and vitality and vigor and faith. And I want to be that 85-year-old. I hope you do too. I hope you do too. Because I think if God would say anything to us this morning, as uncertain as our times might be, as uncertain as your life, your circumstances, your finances, your job situation, your health, your family situation, I think if God would speak anything to our hearts as a church and to you as an individual this morning, it is this. He would say to you, I know your giants. I know your giants. I know your Anakites. I know the giants you're facing. I know about the struggles you're having with your kids. I know about your crumbling marriage. I know about your job situation and your finances. I know about your losses. I know about your hurts. I know where you're struggling. I know where your dreams have died. I know where you've missed out on your on your dreams. I know your mistakes and I know your failures. I know them all. But if you will just trust me today, if you will just trust me, ask me today and every day, I will be with you. I will be with you. And I will be present in your life at every step you take. If you will just rely on me. Just rely on me. Because I'm big enough to catch you. I'm big enough to carry you. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.